Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by my co-host Andrew Bartram and our guest Brendan Barry. Hello Andrew. Hello Simon. And hello Brendan. Hello. Hello Brendan. Um, right, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Jeff Perry for being our guest uh, two weeks ago. Now I say two weeks ago. It's not really, uh, because we only actually recorded that show about five days ago. So as, as usual with these things, when we do things out of, out of sync, um, we tend to get, I say we tend to get a bit confused. I tend to get a bit confused. So, uh, so there you go. So uh, bear with me if I, if I do get, come across a little bit senile this week, because that tends to be what happens. Um, so yes, uh, thank you, Jeff, for being out. I noticed there was no support there, was there? Um, so thank you, thank you, Jeff, uh, for being our guest uh, for the last episode. It was, it was a great chat there. It was pretty fascinating to learn the, the things that you go through to uh, modify your cameras and such, and uh, and come up with those things like those uh, the reels you got for putting five by four. Uh, sheet film into Patterson tanks. It was uh, absolutely fascinating. Um, okay, so as usual, we're just going to do a bit of a catch-up and seeing that, you know, it wasn't actually that long we were talking about our last catch-up. I guess this section might be a little bit shorter than usual. So I'm going to head over to Andrew in Cambridgeshire, who's not feeling very well. Uh, so please mm. feel sorry for Andrew. And uh, what, what have you been up to? Well, I, uh, I put some more film through my Horizon panoramic camera. I haven't developed it yet, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I put a roll of Eastman 5222XX film through there. And more excitingly, well, for me, more excitingly, I'm just getting ready to relocate my DeVere 504 enlarger into the boot of my Volvo or into the back of the Volvo and take it down to uh, uh, Brighton. Uh, I think it's just wonderful that you know enlargers well, this one anyway, you can still take it to the manufacturer and they've still got a service team who can overhaul it and lubricate it and clean it and get all the shit out of it. Because this thing is 40 years old, you know, excuse my swearing. This thing is 40 years old and it's sat in Steve Segersby's garage for some years, you know, gathering dust. So um, I'm really excited to leave it in the hands of the manufacturers and and then it'll be good to go for another 40 years and probably see me out. So and that's that, exciting, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm just, just wondering now, is, it, is, there, is there a bit of a pattern forming here? I mean, yeah, I don't know, did, is there? Did, did, did your enlarger used to belong to Stephen, that's Stephen Sagersby? It did, yeah. I bought it off him, unlike your, you're getting yours <laughs> do, donated. <laughs> yeah. I had to part, part with proper cash for it. But it was £300, which for a, and it came with a 150 mil lens which is a sort of standard normal lens for um five by four film and uh, i thought that was um, that was pretty good i bought that he did se send it to me it's got an extractor fan on it to take away the uh blow it, it sucks air out so it draws i guess it's meant to draw the heat away from the bulb mm -hmm. and he, he sold it to me and the, and the fan wasn't working so i phoned up john boyce who's the man at odyssey devere down in brighton and he said oh yeah we keep fans for those um it comes with like two bare wires you'll have to take the old one out and solder the new one in so i did that and just made sure it was sucking and not blowing as they say and uh, and it was all good i didn't get a discount though i think he he claimed it was working when he sold it to me but i think <laughs> you've got to watch out for that stephen segersby's uh, a bit of a dell boy <laughs> well uh, 
it it looks I've I've had some dive since since the last time um, we we talked about it. I I now have dimensions of of this uh, behemoth of a seven by five and larger uh, mm-hmm. cold cathode uh, condensing and larger or something on those lines. Um, perhaps Barry can explain that a little bit to us um, at some point. But uh, or Brendan, Brendan, Brendan. Oh, I'm sorry, Brendan. Um, That's all right. No, I'm used to it. Well, it's the people who have names that have got two first names. It's all kind of a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, they get them mixed up all the time. I think Brett, yeah. You can refer to me as Barry or Brendan Inspired. Well, the thing is, it was, was that about senility? <laughs> yeah, well, this, this, is, this is even this is a nightmare for me because, you know, Jeff, we had Jeff Perry uh, last, last week. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's too many RRY people in the. In the uh, one after the other that I'm, I'm struggling to cope with that now so i'm, I'm completely lost now um but, but the, the other thing well, well first of all will that begin begin larger fit in your dark room at in stoke-on-trent well the the the, the six towns dark room as we, as we have it has three booths and mm-hmm. they're about 600 wide the smallest one's about 600 wide and then we've got two others that well there's one that's 600 wide again but it, it it goes back. Um, the further it goes back, it, it widens out, but it goes into a corner. And then we have another one that is certainly wide enough for for this uh, thing. But it's 80, mil- 80 centimeters wide, this this and larger. Um, but I'm reckoning that we can potentially like squeeze it somehow, you know, lift it over something or through something or put it in at an angle and get it into this this middle bay where it goes wider as it goes deeper. Um, so that that's the hope. If not, we we all put it into the wider bay but that's got a shelf above it which uh that's going to cause us a few problems because we'd have to remove the shelf that sits above it so one way or another we will get it in um it's as simple Bre- as that brendan i don't know if you if you're aware but simon's um starting a bit of a simon and others are starting a bit of a, a film darkroom session at the six towns is it called the Six Towns Darkroom? Um, well, it's it's part of the the Six Towns Photographic Club, is is, yes. is what the, the the space is, and uh, with and every Tuesday night we take it over. Um, so you're gradually growing in numbers, aren't you? But um, I think you can probably pick up some tips from this week's guest about how to you know get the masses in because <laughs> oh, one day you need like an open day, don't you? Really, and you know to and you. The, what better guest to learn from than one who engages with folks in quite the way that uh, Brendan does? Well, you'll need to um, put lots of gaffer tape and cardboard to use. That's the way I tend to sort of <laughs> attract people into what I do. That's, it definitely draws a crowd sometimes. But um, yeah, I'm sure I can might be able to offer some tips. Yeah. Oh, well, there was a, that was that I did mention earlier, and I'm putting you on the spot because I, I don't know if if you've got any specific knowledge of this, but the, the enlarger that is coming to us is a, it's, it's one of the older style uh, enlargers. So it's uh, a cold cathode enlarger. Uh-huh. Is, is that, do you have any specific knowledge of using that type of enlarger? I don't know. I do have a shipping container full of them, <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm yet to sort of put them to use. I cleared out a, um, uh, a dark room at a university nearby recently. They would, they would basically, they had two, um, analog black and white dark rooms, a, a wet room and a dry room, and they were combining them into one. I heard that they were going to throw, I think I got nine Devere 203s and four 504s that they were just going to throw in a skip. Um, so, I, yeah, I've got them in one of my three shipping containers that's, that's full of enlarged, but I'm yet to kind of 
piece them together. I'm trying to set up a kind of community darkroom hub myself here in Exeter at the moment, actually. And so, so ask me, if you ask me that in a month or two, then I, I might have a better answer. But you know, it's been a while since I've worked actually in a proper darkroom. Yeah. Well, I'm, I was going to say I'm, I'm particularly uh, looking forward to actually using one of these these older style uh, enlargers. But so I think it's, it's the end of the day. That's what that's what people used to use, and they were producing beautiful photographs, you know, in the 40s or whatever. I'm not sure when the, the when the newer style came out. So it's 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 quite appealing to me that it is actually an old way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's. I think that's the thing with um with dark rooms is that like. I always find that you just get some kit if it works and you can get something out of it, get a print out of it, or whatever. Then it's just kind of, um, yeah, just finding the parts, putting it all together. And, and as soon as you kind of, I, I'm a big fan of just sort of trial by error and making stuff up as you go along a little bit. So if the light turns on and it focuses, then yeah, then yeah it should be fun. Yeah. I think the the only thing that you may have trouble with with the cold cathode maybe the light sources are more difficult to get hold of um when i did a bit of searching around online it talked about them being expensive but when i'm down at devere's tomorrow devere odyssey devere i shall ask john boyce particularly and if you send me a picture before then simon yeah will do um i'll see what hints and tips he's got for you excellent no well, i shall do that um just to f finish off talking about moving my devere in larger into the into the car the first thing I had to do was move my beard uh, 16 by 20 enlarging easel because it was I, it was a bit grubby, so I brought it into the kitchen and cleaned it up. And I was thinking about the largest prints I'd ever made. And, of course, I was thinking of having watched Brendan's uh, uh, videos and his use of rolls of paper from Ilford. Um, I realised I'd actually never made a print bigger than 12 by 16. And I think it's partly sort of financial, you know, um, but camera clubs and things, 16 by 20 used to be a, a standard size. But, uh, I mean, I can certainly make bigger prints and you can turn enlargers on their sides, can't you, and back to front and project onto the floor or onto the walls and things. But, uh, yeah, I never, never really made uh, big ones. Certainly never played around with rolls of paper like uh, 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 like you do, Brendan. Yeah, it's um, – when, well, when you get that big, obviously – there's so many different kind of issues and challenges and stuff you have to get, have to face. But I mean, I, to be honest, similarly with when in the dark room, I don't think I've ever made a print bigger than 16 by 20 with a, you know, enlargement from a negative. Mm. Or, but obviously the, the stuff that I'm doing at the moment is, is creating paper negative. So yeah, yeah trying to create something that big in a, in a dark room is, um, yeah, as you say, you can turn it on its side and project it on the wall. I remember doing that at college years and years ago, but, um, yeah, that's yeah, it brings up a whole load of challenges in itself that way. It does. You see, these, there's some videos online, aren't there, with Ansel Adams projecting onto uh, onto the wall to make super big prints. But I think he's using a uh, a sort of enlarger on a on on a railway line. That's what it looks like, anyway. Some huge sort of projector style enlarger, which projects an enormous image on the wall, and he's uh, got big sheets of paper taped to it. Yeah, I've seen some of them, and he's like, when he's dodging and burning, he's kind of standing in, in the in the kind of uh, in the way of the light. I know. Projecting. It's like so a performance like, art, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's well. like he's conducting an orchestra or something. Well, he always said that, didn't he? He said that he did. The um, was it the negative is the score, and the print is the performance. He did. Yes. So, other than your your planned trip down to Brighton, anything else going on in in your world? 
Yeah, but not photography related. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, in that case, I'll let's let's go on to uh, what I've been up to, uh, which is not strictly large format, but it's it's all connected um, because the only thing of note that I've actually done since our last uh, recording uh, was last night. Um, it, it's the uh, Six Towns Darkroom where I made my very first enlargement. Uh, mm, I saw that and it looked great. It was it your son, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, it is. And it was uh, uh, it was shot on thirty five millimeter uh, using uh, a, a Leica M two uh, and a friend's lens, um, and uh, yeah, and using ancient, <laughs> certainly very old, uh, Orwo Pan uh, one hundred film. Uh, I think it expired around about 1994. I think. Have you not? You, I mean, you're getting great results, but come on, you need to support Ilford a bit and buy some new stuff. You're such a tight wad, aren't you? Come on, I put your money in your pocket. I, I was, I was given a load of, of old film uh, by uh, Eric Kastelus, um mm. uh, in Belgium, and this was actually one of the roles that he gave me. And uh, and you know, I feel, you know, if I, if I've got the film, I should use it. And uh, I think. He, He's yeah. the guy who was on one of your shows recently, wasn't he? And he, well, the one I listened to recently, I don't know how old it was, but does he live in, in the middle of a, he sort of walks outside his house and suddenly comes there, against there be all dragons. kinds of weird, yeah, that's it, There Be Dragons episode. Yeah, he lives, he's, he's, a, he's a Dutchman and he lives in Mons, I think, yeah. I think it's in, I think it's southern Belgium, I think Mons, um, but every time he, he does loads of street photography and every time he just walks out of the house, there's just people wearing incredible costumes it just seems to be normal and it goes around it doesn't seem to matter what yeah, time well, of year it is Bel- what time of day belgium for you isn't it yeah it's it's a remarkable place and uh, and is is a really great uh, street street photographer and documentarian photographer um but uh, he's a big fan of expired film and he sent me mm-hmm. a load because the, the reason why he sent it to me uh, was because i was being a little bit too picky about taking photographs. I think you know this thing about making your photograph being worthy and all this kind of stuff. Because every every time I press the button, it costs me money and and so on. And uh, you know, despite um, sounding like I've, I'm I'm reasonably uh, well off with the amount of lenses and things I, I have at my disposal, that's because it's my business rather than my own personal stuff. And I've, 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 I'm not exactly swimming in money to be able to uh, to, to spend money on film so uh, he sent that to me uh, with the view that just go out there and, and shoot photos and don't worry about it uh, because it doesn't cost much to develop black and white and they're almost all black and white and and that was exactly what I did and uh, I mean with one of the roles he sent me I, I did a, a bokeh panorama uh, of a uh, model car a full-size model car in Regent's Park. Hmm. Um, so I took like about 27 photographs of the same thing, but in slightly different positions and uh, put them together. The kind of thing that I might do uh, digitally. Um, and I thought, no, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do this on on film because if I don't, it'll take me another year to finish this roll off uh, like the last roll did. Um, and it was it was a really interesting exercise. And uh, the, the what it produced was 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 in was interesting in itself, and it was it was worthy. In fact, um, I scanned everything and put it into Photoshop and put everything together. And, bef- and there's a there's a section before everything uh, is reassembled perfectly. Uh, you see the overlays of each individual shot, and they're all distorted, and they they it's 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 quite a, an odd effect. It's as if like you've put a lo- like it's a bit like a montage of the same subject um but it's also distorted at the same time 
Yeah, I heard you. I heard you talking about it, and I and I I didn't because I was driving. I did so I didn't look at the image, but I think I've seen it on a post somewhere. Yeah, but it was one of those things I made a mental note of to ask you sometime, not on this show, um, just to explain how you did it. But yeah, well, if it involves too much Photoshop, I'm really not that interested. So yeah, don't it's, tell it's, me. it's it's yeah, it's it's not actually a difficult thing, but as you say, it's probably it's the one not for this this conversation. No. But the anyway, you made your first print. was good. You made your first print. <laughs> yes, yes. Back onto this. So uh, that was on the same same day, and uh, using this old film and even older um uh, Jessup's grade three um paper uh, because i've i've the, we've got quite a bit of old paper at the at our dark room uh, with the view that well let's use up the old stuff before we start buying new stuff and yeah. especially when you've got people like myself uh, who are very inexperienced in the dark room um it, i don't mind you know playing around, trying stuff and potentially wasting paper because it's not really wasting paper if you're learning, is it? And I don't mind doing no. that if, if this stuff is effectively without cost. The bin should always be full. Mine, mine certainly is. <laughs> yeah. But Grady Paper, uh, I mean, that's some people have had to go at me the fact I'm learning on Grady Paper instead of learning mm. on Multigrade. Um, I'm taking the view, well, it's it's there and it, it's, a, it's a little bit like when you're, you're teaching somebody, if you're learning photography people say well go out and get yourself a um, a film camera and get a k k1000 is the thing that seems that everybody seems to say um, but there's something in that isn't there about doing going back to the absolute basics to to learn photography and i and to some degree i'm sort of thinking about using grady paper is a bit like is a bit like going back to basics there now i was going to say brendan is a is an educator um, and I'm just wondering if you're if you're sitting back and listening to me in absolute horror at the moment, Brendan. <laughs> no, not in the slightest. I think you're right. You know, it's um, um, yeah. It's, you know, if you can, it's it's like driving. A, you know, if you're driving, learning to drive a car. Yes, you can learn to drive on a on an automatic, but you're never going to be able to control the car, and it's not kind of you know have as much kind of enjoyment of the ride potentially then if you're just, you know, driving along in, in automatic, no offence to people that drive automatic cars, of course, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, you have a more innate and deeper and richer understanding of the, the technology that you're using, whether that be the camera or the paper, the enlarger, the negatives, um, yeah, inevitably it's going to lead you to being able to, you know, create more more interesting things, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and this is, uh, it's, 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 it's always it's always a, a good evening at it's our dark room we've got at the moment we've got seven seven members and uh, of varying degrees of uh, ability and, and or speciality in, in different areas and last last night was was not just interesting and uh, fulfilling for me actually managing to produce a, a, a print that i was i was happy with um, but one of our members and uh, and hopefully listening to uh, to the show is uh, paul bullock um, who, who came along and he had just been on a um, a course with one of the Ilford Master um, darkroom people, not Andrew Sanderson. This guy, there's a chap who lives in Carlisle, I think, or in the or in the Lake District. Andrew, does that ring any bells? So I can't remember his name now. Um, if you said his name, I'd probably know him. But... Yeah, you, I'm almost certain. I think there's like there's there's only a couple of people in the country that of that of that kind of level i believe and uh, hopefully i'm not upsetting a huge amount of people now having just said that um, <laughs> but, um, but anyway uh, so scratch that um, but he's a very good he's a very good darkroom man um, and, and a true expert and um paul spent a couple of days uh, with him 
and I think actually this was split over a, a period of time actually. Um, but Paul brought in some of his, his uh, photos, whether it be from uh, medium format and uh, uh, at least one large format and uh, uh, enlargement that he'd, he'd done, and. And it was it was really interesting just to just to see these photographs. But secondly, the the processes that we used, including uh, is it split toning, where you, uh, you you get a level and then you 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 set your um, enlarger to 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 five and to zero, and you oh no 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 no. Stuff. Like, no you're taught, you're getting two things muddled up. You're going to confuse yeah. audience now. So there's split grade printing and split toning. Split split toning is something I play around with sometimes and you can use something like selenium toner which affects the blacks and the shadows first uh, and then you can use uh, a, ble a, a light bleach and the bleach will it'll affect the highlights and the shadows but um, it, you'll notice it first in the highlights so you can partially bleach back a print uh, and then wash it and then re, re to and tone it in a in a let's call it a sepia toner but it's a couple of chemicals that you mix together so your highlights then pick up a kind of creamy color your shadows are largely unaffected because you haven't let the bleach go far enough and then you dunk it in selenium toner and you get a very intensive black shadows with these creamy highlights that's that that would be a controlled split tone well it wasn't uh, that one no no <laughs> it was the other. well I, I know so you're talking about split grade printing where um uh, Andrew uh, Sanderson's done uh, quite a bit of um, uh, quite a bit of work on, on this, and others have as well. But it's basically where you're printing a combining a grade zero or grade one with a grade five, and you do separate tests first. You do grade zero probably first to look at highlight density. So you do a series of steps on the print to see when you're getting a highlight density that you're happy with. Then you do a, a, a print at that time. And then you overlay that with a series of grade five steps to look at the shadow areas and see the shadow that you're happy with. And then you combine the two into a, uh, in, into a final print. Yeah. Well, uh, you, it sounds like you're eating a bit of cheese or something. Then. What was that? <laughs> or making a camera out of cheese. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> there's, there's only one of us that's likely to do that. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not me. Um, Moldy cheese. Yeah. Um, right. I, I, th I think we've, we've, Talk, talked enough about um, a few things there plus I've, i still haven't quite got my head around what you've just spoken about so we'll, we'll go into more detail well on you that did that well time. you you were con you were confusing our podcast audience by talking about <laughs> split grade toning or something uh, i don't well, know what on earth you were talking about <laughs> yeah well anyway that's that, that's enough of my confusion this week um, let, let's let's over to uh, head over to um a large room uh where brendan is uh, we've got a mental image of what Brendan's doing at the moment because we think he's actually in the corner of a very large room in an educational institution hidden behind a curtain. Would that be about right, Brendan? Um, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I've made myself a little den in the corner of this big echoey room with a, with a curtain that's sort of to try and dampen the sound a little bit so you only hear what I say once and not 20 times as it reverberates around the room. Well, uh, th thank, thank you for making those extra preparations there um, and being resourceful. But well, we know you're a resourceful person. Um, so what, what, have, what have you been up to lately, Brandon? Um, what have I been up to? Um, oh, God, all sorts, really. I've been um, – so I teach part-time at um, uh, Exeter College next to School of Art um, here in Devon where I live. Um, and, yeah, a mixture of things, making a few cameras. It was Halloween recently, so I couldn't resist the um, – Temptation of making a camera out of a pumpkin. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I recently had to throw away a giant block of cheese um, because I'd left it in my, I'd built a five by four inch camera out of um, a block of cheese and then kind of forgot about it, kind of just put it out of my mind because I, I just couldn't be bothered to deal with it. Left it in my shipping container or one of my shipping containers into my workshop for about three weeks um so when i came back that was in a bit of a stinky state um and yeah working on a few projects coming up and just trying to keep busy really i've got a one-year-old um daughter at home as well so it's just trying to make the most of the, of the time that i get where i'm awake basically I'm just going to say I'm just on your website at the moment, and I was, because I've I've seen your cheese camera, and uh, but your web, your website doesn't seem to have it. So I think your cheese I've, I've seen your cheese camera on Instagram, no doubt. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and but it's 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 just really hard to keep up with the uh, the the kind of the sheer number of things that you you've actually converted into a camera. Um. Yeah. Well. I mean, the trick is the secret. It's not even a secret, really, but you know, it's quite easy, really. I mean, there's two ways that I kind of go about making cameras, and one is um, sort of building a camera from scratch, I suppose, um, and making it out of different materials. So I've made cameras out of Lego. Um, shout out to American photographer Carrie Norton, actually, who's who who's, who kind of designed the first Lego camera that I came across, and I kind of used his design and developed it a bit to shoot Polaroid. Um, or I've made cameras out of plywood and lots of cardboards, um, and then the sort of other cameras that are somewhere between a kind of conversion, which are out of objects or strange things like loaves of bread and pineapples and watermelons and, and things like that. Um, I, I, I made a digital camera not so long ago um, using an old overhead projector kind of gutted and then I built some bellows for it and then just used a flatbed scanner um, to which effectively scans the light that's being projected onto the glass um, and it's I mean it's the slowest and um, poorest quality lowest resolution digital camera that you could possibly get but it but it works so there's those kind of fun playful cameras that you can that predominantly you know mixture of medium format 35 mil mostly large format it's a bit easier to work with a large format because you can just you can use a, um, a ground glass so you don't have to kind of use mirrors and things like that which obviously make things a lot more complicated um and they they're just yeah that's kind of for fun it's uh, you know it can usually takes about a day to, to sort of put one together maybe a little bit of preparation gathering parts and things like that um and then the other side of things a bit that i probably um, I, yeah, I probably enjoy more. I think I'd say is, is sort of transforming spaces um, into cameras, and, and the great thing about that is obviously you've got a big room, whether it's a caravan or a shipping container or um, some kind of shed or, or, or a skyscraper or, or a skyscraper is that you can um, you can bring other people inside and kind of um, and that then becomes a really exciting space to kind of teach. Um, the mechanics of photography, but also sort of facilitate, you know, learning, but you know, creativity and image making as well. Right. Well, I I think this is probably a good time to introduce you properly because I think people by now, if they if they haven't heard about you before, they'd be thinking, what? <laughs> Can, <laughs> this crazy pineapple cameras? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm looking at one out of butternut squash, and there's a there's one here with a uh, um, looks like some kind of cyborg uh, where it's uh, made out of a mannequin, a uh, female mannequin with this, this lens sticking out of one eye and, and so on. So, um, uh, Brendan, you're, you're a, uh, I've already mentioned there, you're, you're an educator there and you're a, a, a photographer and 
you do weird and wonderful things. Um, perhaps you could give us a little bit of an idea, a little bit about your background and how on earth you got to the point where you were doing these really odd things. <laughs> um, well, that's obviously quite a long story. So I'll just I'll cut that as short as I can and the significant bits. I mean, I, I've always sort of had an interest and in passion for photography, like right from when I was a kid. Um, and that, um, yeah, led me through school and college. I went to university, studied photography, and then worked as a photographer for... Um, you know kind of freelance and for you know various sort of agencies mostly kind of commercial stuff for a number of years after I left uni and, and I went back and, and we studied did a master's in photography and, and it was around that time when I kind of established a kind of working practice if you like um, and in those days this is maybe sort of eight eight years ago I suppose um, I was very much the kind of you know large format photographer I spent a lot of time kind of traveling around America um, in the kind of tradition of Walker Evans and Alex Soth and uh, Joel Sternfeld and Stephen Shaw and later Alex Soth. Um, these kind of, you know, man on the side of the road with large format camera looking at strange things, basically. Um, and and that's how I kind of worked, you know, more of a sort of traditional photographer who kind of documentary approach, I suppose, heading out into the world and capturing things that I kind of came across. Um, Brent, Brendan, then, was that... Sorry, just to just stop you there, because I've got a particular interest in all those photographers... <laughs> uh, I've got book, books books by all of them and Steve, Stephen Shaw is, is a guy that constantly fascinates me and uh, you know uh, hard to probably replicate what he did now because it's kind of been done isn't it but it's interesting that you were sort of doing that were you, was that a private personal project or was that something that you ended up publishing or you know books get, uh, exhibitions or was it just for you just for you um, yeah, no, I had some sort of, I had a few sort of features and a couple of small exhibitions. I published a book of some of the work that I made in America, a series of motels, um, and a book that came out about two years ago in the States. Um, and and there's some of it, so I think a lot of it's on the sort of archive section of my website, but it's quite strange. When I, when I do kind of um, artist talks and visiting lecturer work at universities and things, and, I, and I'm often... I've I've not yet made the connection um, between what I'm doing now and what I was doing then, or or, or how. Um, that sounds sort of weird, but obviously, I mean, I always say to my students, there's there's two ways that you make interesting photographs. You you put yourself in front of something interesting, so you you head out into the world and you're a documentary photographer, a landscape photographer. You kind of go in search of things, and, and whatever kind of happens in front of you, you can you capture to some extent. Or you put interesting things in front of yourself. So you work in the studio, you know, portraits, landscape, um, portraits, still life, that kind of thing. So so there's these sort of two different worlds, you know, the observed world uh, and the constructed world. And, and I used to be the kind of photographer like Stephen Shaw and and Joel Sternfeld and, and, and um, the people that came before and after them. But now, obviously, with the nature of the way that I work, I have to kind of, you know, because the cameras are less portable, uh, you know, and, and, um, and often I'm building a camera within a space, so I'm kind of required to construct things in, in front of it. It's a completely different way of working. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yet to make a kind of, meet, you know, I, I, when well, people often ask me, basically, how did I get to where I am now? And, and there's... And the short answer is, there's, there's, I'm not 100 sure. Well, when I was looking at your when I was looking at your videos uh, earlier, I, I was watching. I've watched three or four now, and I, I was looking at the one where you uh, made images inside a, an old airfield uh, tower. You know what? Uh, what do you call it? Um, 
Oh, uh, control tower. Control. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I found that interesting because I, I can't remember whether you'd actually blacked it out in the way that you did but others, but you actually seemed like you were you bringing people either with you or students as models, but you're also using the surroundings, weren't you? You were finding uh, found objects and bringing them into the image. So you were kind of transforming a space, but also putting interesting things in front of the camera as well. I mean, there's, one, there's a young lady sitting on a, on a chair holding a camera with leaves on the head, and, and then there were some bits of wire that you found hanging around the place, and you were doing interesting things with, with those. And that, that seemed to be slightly different to some of the other spaces you've transformed um yeah i suppose that i mean that that particular day was quite a significant day actually because yes I, uh, it was an old abandoned control tower near, near where i live and i took a group of students there um and actually on that particular day i kind of set myself the challenge of um of slowing things down a little bit and and taking the time to to really kind of enable these students to to operate the camera um, it, it, from a, you know technically in order to allow them more creative control. So I kind of not you know often when you're trying to sort of share a process with someone, some uh, yeah with a with a group or a person, or you're trying to kind of show things to people and, and get them you know um, understanding it. If you're short of time, then it can end up being a more of a demonstration and of course people don't really learn if they're just shown things they learn when they get to do things um so that particular day i um in the morning we spent you know a couple of hours really talking them through the process of you know composing an image on the screen and focusing with this kind of uh, you know, butchered whiteboard with magnets that we used to, to hold the paper and then talking them through the kind of photographic process and got them mixing the chemicals and making the contact prints and shooting paper negatives and then I kind of walked away basically and kind of left them to it and of course I you know was listening in was moving doing other things in the building and constructing other spaces and, um, and of course every now and then I'd put my head in and I could see that they were struggling with something and, and kind of resisted the temptation to kind of go in and, and fix it for them basically so so although it took them longer in the short term to kind of get results in the long term because they kind of had, were solving problems themselves and they were really understanding the process that um, that we were that they were working with, it meant that a they kind of um, yeah moving forward longer term they have a more deeper understanding of the process, but also they had a more personal and intimate and meaningful relationship with the work that they made because they had more of a hand in it, and and that's a kind of big part of of the more kind of community based and um, facilitative and uh, educate educational stuff that I do is actually rather than being a kind of um, I, you know, often I, I, in many ways, I'm, I'm in those kind of um, circumstances. I'm I'm not the photographer at all. Often I'm kind of just enabling other people, so more of a I don't know, director, I suppose, or conductor. Um, and that's when things get really exciting for me is when you can kind of help and engage other people and and allow them or encourage them or work with them to to create you know their own things that they have a connection to. When you're looking at a space to transform into a camera, because I, I certainly the, the the most graphic and striking one was that skyscraper on the uh, what was it forty something floor was it? Um, yeah, forty six floor. Yeah, yeah, forty six floor of one hundred and one Park Avenue, twenty six thousand square feet, one hundred and sixty windows, and you you were challenged with doing panoramas of of Manhattan. I mean. It, so what, apart from that that one that's the most striking one but then you i found that we'll, we'll, and we can talk about that 
But what what do you what are you kind of looking for in a in a building? Are you going out and actively looking, or are you being approached by people? And um, what's that sort of process? Yeah, it's a mixture, I suppose. I mean, the New York one, I was I was approached with that particular project in that particular space. Um, often, it's just you know somewhere that's accessible and that you know you have the ability to transform and and and. Yeah, and I suppose, you, as I said before, you've kind of got these two options. You can kind of either construct something in front of the camera or just sort of photograph the view that's there. And That's something I want to do a little bit more of, actually, is kind of identifying views that, you know, that, that kind of strike my interest, maybe, or, or kind of, um, you know, might make an interesting photograph, and then find a kind of building that looks onto that view um, and transform that into a camera in the same way that I did with the skyscraper. But accessing i'd love to do something like in with like um you know monuments you know doing something in like i don't know the, the great wall of china you know take a brick out of the great wall of china and turn that and in inside of that into a camera or you know section off a bit of the eiffel tower or or um statue of liberty or i don't know there's like loads of obviously landmarks that you could potentially turn into cameras but then of course all the other option is of course photographing those landmarks from the vantage point of a, of a building that looks out onto it. Well, I mean, New, New York is, of course, such an iconic, uh, iconic location. You must have jumped at the opportunity when you when you got approached to, uh, you know, to, to to go and do this. Do you want to just tell us how that evolved and the, some of the challenges you uh, you faced and who you got involved in the project and you know, the, the lo- presumably you. You know, your students were locals, and tell us all about that and and what they got out of it and the challenges they faced, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, that was that was a no brainer. Um, yeah, I was I was walking to work one morning and stopped at the bus stop and checked my emails, and and there was an email from this company who were based in LA, um, sort of creative um, production company called Favorite Child Creative. And they said they represented one of their clients owned a skyscraper in Midtown Manhattan, <laughs> and would I like to turn the 46th floor in, of it into a camera? Um, so well, obviously it was a yes. Um, and what was what, what was cool about that actually is that the there's a film um, that uh, the one you mentioned actually the where we took control turn the control towers in a film that Ilford made um, last yeah. last summer. Um, and the two two of the producers that worked for this company had seen that film, and um, you know all credit for them really for having the kind of foresight to kind of see what we did that day with the control tower and think oh if you can do it in a you know an abandoned uh, you know a small relatively small building then can you do it in a space this big and of course the answer is yes so um, you know, any room that you can turn black can become a camera um, so yeah like four weeks later after you know I had to obviously ship all my uh, some uh, a bunch of my kind of the lenses and stuff that I use and some of the kind of specific equipment we had to ship out there and then they kind of bought in all the papers and chemicals and rigged up a sink and um, and I had these um, cust- uh, these troughs custom made from um, Richards in Hull that we had shipped out there to, to develop these huge rolls of paper and um, yeah got there walked up into this uh, got the elevator um, up to this this floor and walked out and there you have 360 degree open views of, of um, the New York skyline, which was pretty magic. Um, yes. And then, so I was working with two groups of, um, of uh, students, young adults from two local foundations 
uh, the Aperture Foundation and a place called Red Hook Labs um, that work with kids from sort of underserved neighbourhoods um, around New York. And um, yeah, we all kind of, they all came up on the Saturday, I think it was, and we blacked out the space using this kind of foam core boards that we'd had pre-cut to save some time and about 50 rolls of um, gaffer tape or duct tape, duct tape as they call it. Um, and then we had this completely pitch black space, put a lens in it, opened up the lens and of course the light pours in and you can see the outside world projected in, upside down, back to front in all its glory. Um, and then we set about kind of making images with it. So that involved, I had this huge big kind of magnetic board, eight by four foot board on wheels um, uh, made out there and then rolled out photographic paper and uh, put it onto this um, board using magnets to kind of hold it around and then would make an exposure allowing light to come through the lens and expose into the paper and then roll that up obviously getting a trays photographic trays eight by four foot is, um, is, <laughs> it would not be very um, practical so we'd roll up the paper and then feed it through these um chemical tra uh, kind of chemical troughs and then that would give us a huge um paper negative um which then of course we had to turn into a positive by and just really simple contact process so when the negative's still wet just place it on top of a fresh piece of paper and then obviously we didn't have an enlarger that big so we just used about six or seven iphone torches waved it around over the paper yeah. um put it back through the chemicals and you have a positive print now i saw you in, in i don't know if it was in that video or probably in your caravan when you had folks in there or maybe it was the container camera and you were sort of kind of waving a, a torch around, and I thought, well, is that that doesn't seem a very controlled way of of, uh, of doing a uh, you know contact print? Uh, had you do you do test strips, or do you, do you, have you just got enough experience now to know that you have to wave your torch around for a certain amount of time to yeah, to, yeah, to get a print? Yeah, basically that. Yeah, you can, I can kind of tell looking at the negative how you know, yeah. depending on how thick it is roughly what it's going to be whether it's going to be sort of 10 seconds or 20 <laughs> seconds but i mean it was funny when, when you were talking about master printers earlier like i mean if a if a master darkroom printer saw me working in, in in the caravan or the container or any of these spaces they would have a heart attack because um, i'm yeah it's quite pretty um uh yeah not not it's pretty loose let's put it that way but i mean for me it's that's kind of part of it in a way it's 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 about um the kind of playful and uh you know the kind of um uh, ad hoc kind of problem solving elements of it and, and just being able to get produce something that has a kind of um not necessarily a really high-end quality and obviously when you're using you've, you've taken a, a paper negative out of a you know you've developed it and fixed it and um and washed it a little bit but by the end of the day often if I'm working in the caravan for instance you know my my water tray my wash bath or whatever is um it's a bit contaminated chemicals are everywhere so often you get and, and the paper's still wet so you get these bubbles you get these kind of air pockets you get these kind of watermarks around the print and but it adds a kind of charm to it it gives it a kind of um you know becomes part of the process and part of the kind of experience yeah absolutely I I I thought that was one of the things that made the pictures actually the fact that you could see some of these visible marks and it just shows that well you know these are people just doing these things by hand in some very trying circumstances really and it just adds to the to the final image I thought yeah absolutely and I mean one one time I built a I had a sort of um 
artist residency thing last summer um, in this sort of gallery space. And I built a big stud wall in the middle of the room um, to separate the room into two sections. So the back would be the, the camera and dark room and the front was a sort of studio. And I'd set up backdrops, I had multiple lights and I was doing a series of portraits of people that were kind of coming in and out. Um, and, like, and I remember like really, I was controlling the light and I was drying the prints and making proper contact prints under and then larger. And, and I got this one particular print out as of a friend of mine and her daughter. And, and you know, the background's perfectly lit. They're perfectly focused. There's, you know, the tones are all spot on. Um, and, uh, and I remember showing it to a friend of mine who's a photographer um, who, who knows my process well. We've worked together on a number of things. And he just looked at it and went, oh, it's, it's a bit rubbish, isn't it? And, and I was like, oh my God, I've just spent eight Too good. Fine. And it was, he was like, it looks like you've shot it on a, you know, medium format roll of film and made an enlargement. He lost all of the charm and the kind of playfulness and the immediacy, immediacy of, of the process. And yeah. especially when you're working with other people. And, you know, as, as I say, that, that kind of, um, you know, if I wanted to create kind of really well-composed, you know, well-balanced um, and, and perfectly lit kind of images. I, I wouldn't make cameras out of caravans and watermelons, I suppose. No, and I mean, making contact, paper negatives and contact printing uh, is not, you know, you're not going to get perfect by its very nature. You're not going to get perfect results, are you? Because uh, paper negatives give a certain look when you, when you make contact prints out of them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. And... Um, yeah, and uh, you know, as I said before, it's um, it's yeah, it's just it's part of the fun of the whole process, really. It's um, and, and I think also for me is that I've I'm actually I'm sort of less and less as I kind of move through my career in photography, less and less interested in in photographs actually, and, and more and more interested in in the process. And it's it's the kind of what you do and the the, the time and the energy and the engagement and the excitement of of the making, whether that be of the camera itself and then, and then the kind of process that you use, that's the, for me, the really exciting and the fun bit. And so I think yeah. that's one of the reasons that I might, the, sometimes the kind of processes that I use and I've started developing a way of shooting color and it's even more kind of drawn out and kind of convoluted and it's just delaying the kind of image, the capturing of the, you know, the final picture because that's the kind of anticlimax I think for me in a way, it's the bit that leads up to it that I enjoy the most. You clearly get a tremendous kick, and you know you you come alive when folks get engaged in it, whether whether they're students or whether they're people who've wandered in off the park in Exeter, you know, to say, well, or you've approached somebody who's perhaps too shy to <laughs> to come and talk to you, or the bikers in Exmoor, uh, um, was it Ex Dartmoor rather? Yeah, you, you know those. That 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 seems to me that's what you that's you know you get a real kick out of those uh, those engagements. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and what's been really exciting and the, the shipping container was um, kind of pulled together a lot of my kind of previous experiences, um, inviting people into the space and working with groups of people um, to either run a workshop where it's kind of a more kind of educational side to it, or people just to come along and experience the process and have their picture taken. But one of the, um, I also work a lot with, um, with really kind of diverse, um, uh, audiences and community groups and people with special learning needs and, um, and or mental ill health or people from kind of different socioeconomic backgrounds. And, and when you're, and the, the shipping container, for instance, was, um, I made that wheelchair accessible, which allowed me to kind of, you know, really open up the doors to it literally and metaphorically to, um, to, to, to a really, really broad and diverse audience. I, I, I was 
worked with a couple of groups from the local deaf academy, which was fascinating, working in a, you know, almost dark pitch black space with people with hearing impairment with like one red torch and, and a, you know, a signer who's kind of communicating and translating what I'm doing. I have to do my best to kind of, you know, make, and, and I suppose, you know, because the process is so visual, you know, you know, no matter what people's, you know, ability, as long as they're sighted, um, they can, you know, there's um, there's something to kind of engage with, you know, no matter what their kind of cognitive abilities are. Hmm. Those the young people you worked with in uh, just take, taking you back to the skyscraper for a moment, Brendan. The young people you worked with there that you say they came from what is it, the Aperture Foundation and some something else you mentioned and Red Hook Labs. Red Hook Labs. So. Wh- what did they get out of that at the end of the, the day? And what are they, do they, do you follow up with them to see, you know, are they just sort of, oh, that was an interesting experience or have they taken that on board? Have they developed an interest in picture making, photography or whatever? Well, they actually both groups were, were already, you know, their photography kind of um, their groups, basically. I think the Aperture Foundation, a little bit, probably a little bit from more sort of affluent areas, Red Hook Labs from, sort of from underserved areas. And, right. and yeah, I follow a number on, um, uh, on Instagram and get messages every now and then and but I suppose what was what was really exciting about that project for me and, and hopefully for them as well was um, you know it had to be a kind of collaboration um, so on the, the we had one day where there was t- 20 students so all 21 including myself you know blacked out the space and we opened up the lens and we kind of viewed the you know the obscure the, you know the, the projected image and the camera obscura and then on the um the days after that we had sort of three days of workshops on each day a group of six or seven of those students would come back and we'd spend the day making these, these giant images that you see in the video and um uh from the project and and of course you know if you're dealing with eight by four foot pieces of paper uh, uh then I, you know i can't physically or oh, it's, it's challenging i have kind of tried a few on my own but it's really challenging doing that with just one person you need mm. loads of people to to hold a paper and fix it in place and roll out the um uh to kind of position the huge pieces of paper on top of the, the other pieces of paper during the contact process and and also so so it really was a kind of collaboration and loads and loads of kind of problem solving as as we went along you know lots of kind of you know we noticed on the first couple of shots that you know, because of the difference in the light that's hitting the top of the Empire State Building and the light that's hitting the street below it, you know, there's such a kind of, you know, it's about three or four stops um, difference in there. So we were, you know, uh, and the papers are really high contrast and not very good um, um, dynamic range uh, when you're shooting paper negatives often. And so we were used, we found, got hold of a... Um, a gradient, fil- new, a gradient neutral density filter, gradiated neutral density filter, I think. Yeah, yeah, grey grad. And then had to sort of attach that to the lens and, and you know, lots of gaffer tape, cardboard and, and bits of timber lying around. And um, so, so in answer to your question, you know, I think my hope is that, that you know, that being involved in something on that scale and producing things that are that kind of, you know, relatively unique in the scheme of things. Um, and they, and all through that having to kind of problem solve and, and basically make it up as we went, went along, quite frankly. Um, you know, there's lots of those kind of transferable skills, you know, even if they don't carry on working, you know, 
with camera obscuras and, and large analog photographic processes and papers and things there's lots that i hope that they kind of gain from the day the collaborative way of way of working ability to to solve you know you know create solutions from difficult problems um hopefully they kind of you know i can see that as they kind of you know some of them moving forward and the stuff that they're posting online and stuff you know, it's really exciting stuff well yeah, i was just gonna just gonna say if i can uh, just jump mm, in on, on the certainly. problem solving side of things and this is this is going to apply whether you're trying to use a skyscraper or um, a honey melon honeydew melon uh, yeah, pinhole camera or whatever actually no, that's a pinhole camera so it doesn't quite uh, count with that one but uh, or you uh, one of your bread cameras or uh, whatever it, whatever it is yeah. um, you've you've got to make a decision on your the lens that you're going to use um, and I'm, I'm just wondering about how that process works uh, because I, you know, I, I adapt lenses, uh, but in a in a easier way, you know, to different not to different digital cameras or whatever. Um, but your parameters are quite different, and I'm just wondering how you uh, go through that decision making process because I get this feeling there are going to be some things are going to be such as that building might actually be easier for you to make your, dis- the, your, your, your decision what lens to use than it will be if you've got something that's a little bit more tightly constrained and things like that you know, in other words how to deal with focus and where the where the film sits and things like that yeah absolutely well yeah so I mean that's you know you know in all honesty that why I make predominantly four by five inch cameras or large format cameras because because you can have a ground glass as I, I think I mentioned earlier and then you know you place your lens and as long as that you've got the right focal length for the lens which allows you to you know to focus whether that's from infinity to you know whatever point between infinity and, and, and close up um is um yeah you can project it onto it and the, and the cameras that i've made that are medium format or used medium format film or 35 mil film i mean to be honest they're usually either fixed focus or I'm just guessing the focus really and hoping I get something and right. I've not I've not actually built like a kind of you know lens reflex camera yet. I've got a few ideas and I've, I've made a couple of kind of rudimentary twin lens kind of cameras. Um, I went and made one. I think that's one on my website that I made out of junk, basically stuff from a scrap store nearby. But um, in answer to your question, I mean generally to be quite honest with you, if I'm using a kind of you know an existing object or thing. Or whether it's a loaf of bread or a blog, or then it's the, the the kind of width of the object itself which will determine the lens. So if I've got, you know, a log that's twenty centimeters wide, um, then I'm going to be using a kind of to get this right now, you know, two hundred and fifty mil lens, say with a with a because and I can chuck some bellows or something on the front that lets it move in and out, um, so I can kind of you know, yeah, have some kind of focal range or, or kind of have different um be able to focus on a, a range of focal points from from infinity to close up um so it, i mean to be honest with you so much of most of what i do is is trial and error and holding you know i've got a lens and it's an old battered one that i found somewhere and the, and the focal length has been scratched off it and so you, i just hold it up and shine the torch through it and project it onto the wall so you can kind of work out you know roughly what the what the focal length is and um yeah lots of i've got a, a kind of a, a big shipping container just full to the brim with parts and bits and old cameras that i've butchered and taken apart and um and you know that's that's how most of them kind of come together really just like oh i wonder if that will fit on this and if yeah. i just take that there and see how it works yeah now 
that that's that leads me to somewhere where um, I've got a particular interest. Where you and you've just said there about you, know, you might come across a lens and you can't actually there are no markings on it. You don't really know what it is, mm-hmm. and you said that like, you would shine a light through it and project it onto a wall. Could you could you talk through that process in, in a in a little bit more 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 detail for the things that you're looking for? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, so obviously the so uh, or you know I say obviously be, there'll be some people that won't be aware. So I, I, I would explain for those that don't. So the, the focal length of a lens, um, let's say it's a three hundred millimeter lens. That's the distance that it focuses. So, uh, the infinity will focus 300 millimeters or 30 centimeters um, away from the lens. And then, as the subject gets closer to the lens, the focal point, um, the point that the, the, the ground glass needs to be, the focal point, um, is, gets further and further away. So, I, I, there are equations that you can um, you can use to work work all that out. Um, but basically, uh, you know, if someone if infinity focuses about 30 centimetres, exactly 30 centimetres away, you know, so you have your lens and then 30 centimetres back, you have your ground glass. If your subject stood you know, two metres away, then it's probably going to be something like 40, 45 centimetres, maybe something like that. So the distance that my lens needs to move backwards and forwards um, in order to be able to focus from infinity to someone stood a portrait a couple of metres away is sort of 15 centimetres. So I often use um, the bellows that you get off the front of an enlarger, for instance, and they usually have about that, a little bit more movement in it. But a simple way to kind of test the focal length of a lens is, um, is, I suppose, simply to sort of make a camera obscura, to black out your room, put the lens in the window, um, and then hold a piece of white card or paper or you know translucent material, tracing paper or anything, really, um, behind the lens and... and where infinity is, if you can point your room camera, your obscura, at the horizon, um, then you can kind of see where the um, focal length is. But, uh, you know, the other way I do that is um, is to put a torch, you know, really bright light, basically, one side of the room, and then at the other side of the room, sort of hold the lens up, pointing at the light, and the light from, and then with that lens backing onto a wall um, and then you can yeah you can see you can move the lens backwards and forwards and get a rough idea about you know how you know if, if the the light is say 10 meters away from the lens and the lens needs to be you know 40 centimeters away from the wall to for the light from the um from the torch to be in focus um then you've got a rough idea of you know of what the focal length of that lens so, is so just just that point there about the, the, the what you're actually looking for with that projected image of, of the torch shining through the lens onto the wall mm-hmm. what when, and you say that what what does a focused image look like with that torch shining through oh it's just a, a bright focused torch so you can see the kind of um, filament of the of whatever bulb it is in focus coming into you know right. sort of blurry light and then it comes pin ping into sort of focus and whether it's the i just use whatever's around whether it's my iphone torch or yeah. a work light or something like that yeah and the the other thing from there I, I assume you can also then measure the um the project the image circle the projected image circle as well of the lens is that would that be true um yeah i mean one of the reasons that i'd use the torch is that in that context is that you don't really have to have a black room because the brightness of that torch is so bright that you can do it in, in a, you know, just turn the lights off, and, you know, so it's night time, you, you know, it's, um, so you get an idea of the focal length. If you want to find out the image circle, 
then you need you really you need to make a camera obscure, I think, or, or put it on a large format camera and see if it covers the glass. Mm. Yeah, Simon, the I, I remember listening to an episode, of probably quite an early episode of the Homemade Camera podcast. I don't know if you listened to that, Brendan, but it's uh, I would imagine it's right up your street. It's yes, been going. No, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been going a while now. And in some of their early episodes, they were just talking about yeah, taking different elements of the camera and talking about different ways of fabricating them. And they were talking about determining sort of focal lengths. And I think it was it was either Nick or Graham was talking about putting your lens that you had no idea about really and just sort of taping it to a tube. And I'm thinking like a, a couple of Pringles tubes, one inside the other, and and then with a you know piece of tissue paper or some translucent stuff over the end, other end you slide it in and out like a telegra- tele- telescope and at some point it comes into uh, into focus and then you just measure that distance between the um between the, the i guess the whatever part of the lens is you're judging it from uh, you know the sort of nodal point whatever that is to to the ground glass and that's roughly your focal length yeah that's a that's a way better way of doing it actually <laughs> <laughs> well i was just going to say there's a couple of things there there's um one if the lens is of a telephoto design i think that messes with your with your um your measurements as well telephoto a, by definition is about where the image is focuses whether it focuses closer or beyond it's a bit like a yeah it's I, the opposite I, I think, to one of those wide angle lenses isn't it which have what do they call that retro focus or something yeah well i think the point the point being is i don't think you, it's a there's a specific correlation between 300 I don't, i'm not sure if a telephoto lens which was 300 millimeters will be 300 millimeters no I think it'll be shorter i, I think um, so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but, but yeah. That, that's one thing but there is a there is another way of uh, measuring the um, measuring the the focal length um, this, this is what i do with weird and wonderful lenses although not large format generally speaking um and that's to uh put it mount it onto uh adapters um so you end up with your with your with your which tubes. you can buy from simon by the way no no well there's a few on but not not enough to be able to do this it's more about extension okay. tubes to be fair and right. uh so you you put those onto your onto your camera and to get to the point where you can actually reach um a focused image it doesn't necessarily have to be um uh, at infinity um, and then what you would do once you've got to the point where you can you can take a photograph of, of something and you, you then look at it and think well that feels like it's a x um, millimeter lens you then dig out a, a, a zoom lens of some description um, from the same position and take and try and actually replicate the the focus uh, that you've achieved even though you it's obviously going to be cropping the image circle massively uh, but that doesn't matter because um, it's about what's going on at the centre of the image, and that's how I found out that like some old Tessar lenses that I've had of something like about 292 millimetres because I would check it against a, a 60 to 300 millimetre zoom lens. So it's a really quick way of doing it. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I mean that's oh, oh, you know for 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 the sort of smaller cameras um, and the stuff that I make that kind of yeah anything between as you say. 90 mil to sort of 250, 300 mil. Um, that's yeah, that sounds like a really good way of doing it too. But I mean, things get a little bit more. Um, you have to get a bit more creative when you're dealing with the kind of you know, larger lenses. I mean, yeah. I've just I've, I've just got hold of a, um, a 70 inch um, lens uh, that is which is about 1,780 <laughs> millimeter, um, which um, 
yeah, is uh, which is I, mean, I haven't actually tested. I've not kind of reached the edge of it yet, <laughs> basically. But the, the the lenses that I use for the sort of bigger camera obscuras, and like in New York, for instance, that one I was using there was a one thousand two hundred ten mil um, process lens, which projects an image circle. Well, it, it, you can see on some of those images made, you can see the sort of vignette of the image mm. of the edge of the image circle coming in at around about five or six feet. Um, this new lens that I've got, I'm, I, if my calculations are correct, it should cover the whole kind of eight by four foot. You know, um, obviously the paper only comes up to four feet wide. Um, well, it's 50 inches, I think, and then rolls of you know, 100 feet or whatever it is. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to trying that one out. And I'm, I'm, I've been develop you know working with color a little bit recently and i found a place bnh um photo or bnh in, in new york sell rolls of color paper that's 50 inches wide and 196 feet long um so i'm just working on a way of of shooting yeah sort of five by sort of six by four feet um color giant prints well, I'm, I'm glad you've gone on to that subject because that's that's something that um, it's not that long ago on instagram where you uh, there was a, a a chap wearing uh, a lumberjack shirt i think it was uh, in yeah. some woods somewhere and go on sing the song <laughs> <laughs> no I, 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 I no we don't want to lose any more listeners um <laughs> and uh yeah actually that, that's a good point let's just quickly give a shout out to uh, your instagram account which is brendan barry photo uh, so everybody run run to that um and uh, and you can also see the cheat the moldy cheese camera pre-mold uh, is on there as well um but um and the pumpkin camera as well which is looking really good um but yeah there's a there's a video on there and it, it's just captivating <laughs> because and there's there's something really odd going on there because i was i was chatting to one of the people at our darkroom uh, last night and i was saying that uh, we've got brendan barry coming on and there's and he was like saying oh i've got i've just got so many questions he goes <laughs> um, but uh, he didn't he didn't he didn't give me any of those questions but one of the, the areas that well the main area that we were discussing is about what you're doing with these uh, shoot, shooting on color paper um and doing stuff with black and white chemicals then color chemicals and and then, a, is it you're shooting with an orange filter? Basically, my, my head had gone. So I'm just, just wondering <laughs> if you can explain what on earth you were doing there, apart from it looking amazing. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll summarise it. It's, it's quite, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's like anything, really. Once you kind of know how, obviously, things are a little bit easier. But what, I, I mean, for a while, I, I, I was fully aware that I could do what I was already doing, i.e. shooting paper negatives and then contact printing into a positive image with color paper um you, you could put a piece of color photographic paper into the camera make a color paper negative put that paper negative on top of another piece of paper and shine light through it and you'd have a positive but of course you've got color balance to deal with so either you'd have to balance the light coming into the lens so your negative was kind of was balanced and or you'd probably have and then have to balance the light coming from whatever light source you're using to create a um, uh, uh, you know to, to balance the light when you create your pod color um, your 
positive print from your negative. Um, you might, whether you need to do it both times or if you could just do it, you probably wouldn't need to. You could have an unbalanced negative, I suppose. Most all negatives are, I suppose, unless, it's, unless you're assuming transparency. Um, uh, and then you'd have to filter the line. Anyway, um, so, but obviously you can already tell that that sort of gets complicated and there's loads of things you have to deal with. It's not exactly that fast. You're also having to sort of think about color chemistry and the different kind of temperatures that that works more effectively at and heating baths and things like that. Um, so I kind of just kind of written it off really and thought it was just a bit too complicated or convoluted or just wouldn't be that kind of, um, wouldn't be as much fun basically. And then I kind of came across somewhere and spent quite a few months kind of researching and 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 kind of finding out because there's not a lot of information out there or there is but it's in weird places this kind of color reversal process which is basically what I'm using so shooting onto color paper developing it using kind of black and white chemistry to, to make a, a negative and then uh, doing a second exposure to light and then um, processing a normal RA4 chemistry and having to filter the light coming into the lens so you can see it's sort of quite a convoluted um, process but the, the great thing about it as you'll see on my Instagram is that once you've created your negative you can then the positive you can develop and fix the positive in daylight so in terms of the sort of you know because one of the big part of the way that I work is there's a kind of performative nature to it as well where you can draw people in and you know, seeing the image projected inside a camera and the image coming alive in the tray as it, as it develops, you know, it's such a magical experience that it never gets boring. Um, and obviously this, this new process that I'm working with developing where you can have a colour image appearing in the tray but it happening in, in daylight is just really exciting and, and that's where I'm kind of going next. But interesting, as you said, yeah, the, the, the video, the, it's the video of the image emerging which is the really exciting bit and actually probably for me more interesting and exciting than the finished print. So I'm also starting to work a little bit more with video and kind of videoing that, that as it comes alive and kind of feeling, yeah, I've got some plans for some installations and stuff working in that way, video installations and things. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. You get. You get quite mesmerised uh, just looking at the, <laughs> looking at the videos of it. And as you're saying, yeah, there's there's something. I mean, we're photographers and we 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 like stills, but there is just something really really special when you when you're just looking at at how this looks. And there's there's a whole look about it as well, isn't it? When it's when it's still wet and you can and you can see these orange things going on and. Uh, it's it's just absolutely beautiful. It's just it's almost like you wish you could just like uh, just freeze it at, at that point. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's complete yeah. abstraction. Um, but who cares? It's just just wonderful. It also looks like you got load of uh, pine needles and uh, bits of tree in there as well. Is that is that is that what's yeah, going that's, on? That's absolutely right. Yeah, it got really windy and all the leaves fell down into the tree into the, um, into the tray. <laughs> Have you have you seen this, uh, Andrew? Have you have you seen the video? No, I haven't been on Brendan's Instagram, so I was just about to uh, go on while you were talking. Oh. I was asking some questions earlier, and I asked some quite insightful questions. Everyone ignored me. Then I realised my microphone was on mute. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were so insightful, I can't remember what they were. Now. I was going to say that yeah, this would be a good good time to ask them, but uh, I I I just think that that the whole process that you de you're developing there is just is just wonderful, um, and yeah, and it's and it's certainly as as you're saying that yeah that the performative side of things. I mean, 
if if there's ever a Ooh. way to get people interested in oh it looks like you found it now um <laughs> well i'm looking at yeah. a picture yeah so there's a, a guy with a nuclear firestorm behind him exactly in a lumberjack <laughs> shirt yeah, so I'm just saying, if there's ever a way to get people that that don't really understand this or they're not really that bothered about shooting with film, you you, know, you show them something like this, and they're just going to be, oh, need to look at that. <laughs> that's 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 the way to go. Oh, something else here as well. So sorry, I was I'm getting excited now looking at Instagram, <laughs> great, isn't it? Because you can just leap around. So you've got this red telephone box, uh, Brendan. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, in a village near where I live, and okay, Americans, you're going to love this. It's called Prick Willow, okay? There's this village <laughs> in the Fens called Prick Willow. And in Prick Willow, you can Google it. You'll see a Prick Willow telephone box exhibition space. You can hire this telephone box and have an exhibition in it. And I was chatting to somebody on the Lensless podcast recently, Joe Baker, who did just that. He, he did a series of hand-coloured photographs of the mausoleum in London that inspired the designer of these phone boxes and so he had black and white images and he painted them red now wouldn't it be great to approach i might do this i might approach prick willow uh, town council village council parish council i don't know and say look i'd like to do that i'd like to actually make the photographs inside your telephone box like brendan's done here sorry to steal your idea brendan and then have the exhibition inside the telephone box wouldn't that be great yeah perfect so you can find that. Folks can Google Prick Willow telephone box exhibition or something and uh, see that. But I was just, yeah, so not only can you have your exhibition inside the box, but uh, uh, take the pictures from it. Because that was what I loved about the container pictures, Brendan. You then took that space and did an exhibition. And how cool was that? Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, because as I mentioned before, the... So the front wall of the container was a kind of stud wall on wheels that I'd built, which, um, which is what allowed it to be wheelchair accessible because the whole wall you could just... I know, you just kind of front. moved, unclipped it and moved it sideways. Just and, and wheeled it back, yeah. So you could that was brilliant. Just, like, opening up the front standard of your camera and sort of climbing inside. Yeah. Um, and then obviously at the end, I just pushed it all the way to the back of the container um, and it sort of slid under the workbench that I built for the for the as the for the, where the photographic trays went, and um, yeah, and then just used um, little round magnets to attach the prints to the wall inside, so it went up super quick, came down super easy. Um, yeah, yeah, it was kind of perfect space for it. I mean, that's the great thing about shipping containers, you know, they're so multifunctional. You can use them for, for all sorts of different things. And, uh, yeah, that one came in handy multiple times. Where did you display the New York pictures? Because presumably there must have been an exhibition or something at the end of that. Well, interestingly enough, they were in the skyscraper. Again, anyway, we had an exhibition. Yeah. Um, and I, So at the end of that kind of project, we had partitioned off an element or a section of the floor and opened it back up to the light. And that was where I had an exhibition of all the work. And then the rest of the space... The other sort of three quarters, just over of the of the, the whole floor, um, I opened because I I placed different lenses all in different windows, and you could or different lens mounts, so you could move, you could look out of any window basically in any direction and make an image from there. And at the end of the project, I positioned thirteen different lenses with various different focal lengths around the space, and so there's this kind of multi-camera obscure installation, so you mm. can kind of walk through this space, and there'd be you know, 13 different projected images on, on different kind of wow. screens, basically, translucent screens, so you can see them from both sides, so you can look yeah. through the space. 
There's a uh, Simon. You like? Have you seen this picture of this 36 inch military aerial lens? It's even bigger than your Aero Ektar. <laughs> um, so there's a guy holding it up, and it's like he's cradling it in his hand, and he, it would probably take three hand spans to go around the uh, outer lens element. Seeing Brendan's Instagram just a bit down a bit. Have you seen that? Have you, are you using that now, Brendan, that lens? What have you used that on? Which, which one's that? The... Well, you said it's, um, well, it's quite a while ago, actually, because people were commenting on this 49 weeks ago. So also sent off also sent off with this massive 36-inch military aerial lens oh, yeah. to see what he can do with it. It's a beast, is it? Oh, that's, um, oh so that's my friend Raf, yeah, who I gave him my 16-by-20-inch camera that I made. Yeah. Um, and he's converted it to shoot wet plate on it. And yes, yeah, no, I've, um, that was the first lens I think I used on the first camera that I think I, which was that one actually, the 16 by 20 inch. And um, yeah, so I've, I've actually got three, three of them. I've got another one of those lenses in my lockup. Um, and another, and as I said, I've just bought, got one that's twice the size of that, basically, 70 inches. Yeah, there's a picture of your homemade 16 by 20 camera, isn't there, on the uh, kind of next to it, I think? Yes, yeah, that's right. Did you make the bellows for that as well? Because I noticed you'd made the bellows in your container cam. Yes, I did, yeah. Those were the first bellows. That, oh, are they the first? Uh, yeah, I think those were the first bellows that I'd made, actually. Oh, well done, you. <laughs> it's always, I always, that's the reason I built a 16 by 20 inch camera, is because it's, I just figured it would be way easier to build something bigger. Um, I'd always wanted to make my own 4x5-inch camera. Um, I figured the bigger you went, the less precise you had to be, so I could make more mistakes, and that's why I went big. <laughs> well, that was that was something we, we chatted with uh, uh, Jeff last week, um, because uh, he, he mentioned that he's actually producing a shutter, or he's working on producing the shutter for a camera, which is you know, super difficult. And, oh, yeah. but, it, but it's a case of, well, if you're doing that with large format, it's a lot easier than it is if you're going to be doing it with uh, 35mm, for instance. So uh, a lot of people want, want a shutter to be uh, made available, if you like, for uh, for 35mm homemade cameras. And it's a, it's a really, really tricky thing to get right. But, uh, yeah, yeah, make it bigger makes it easier. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, Brendan, you're involved in something called positive light projects um, um yeah so yeah positive light projects is a is a community interest company that i set up um earlier this year um and it's it's a, a kind of organization that i can um kind of set up to to run a kind of different educational experiences and opportunities with it basically I, I currently teach at, um and on a higher education course and uh, which I really enjoy, but um, there's a kind of, uh, there's more diverse audiences that I sort of talked about earlier. You know, I, I have a specific kind of cohort of students from a sort of, you know, relatively small kind of demographic of people and Positive Light Projects is some um, company I set up that uh, allows me to kind of offer other more immersive, more kind of um, inclusive, more diverse uh, kind of educational opportunities and experiences for a broader range and more diverse group of people. So, so these are analog photo workshops in Dart Dartmoor, is it? Well, that's the first, so the first kind of big project that I ran was the Dartmoor Summer School of Photography, um, yeah. which was this summer, which was a kind of week-long kind of um, residency, basically, I suppose, or kind of um, uh, 
I suppose, part retreat, part residency, part workshop, where I kind of opened mm. it up and there was 30 photographers from around the world that kind of came and we had this centre that I'd kind of booked out and we had various um, uh, professional photographers running workshops, had Jem Southam, uh, who's a large format landscape photographer, um, Susan Durges, uh, Sean Davey and um, Jason Evans and myself run, running workshops. And then we had all sorts of other things going on. We had a heart player and a cultural environmentalist who came to talk about the landscape. And we had like amazing food and walks across the Dart, across Dartmoor up to Wisman's Wood. And um, Jeff just had this kind of week of just getting super geeky about photography and concepts and ideas up on the moors and I built a made a kind of pop-up dark room and transformed the outhouse into a camera obscure and making giant pictures with so yeah that and so, so positive like projects is, is a company that I use and I set up to, to do stuff like that stuff that's kind of really kind of yeah experimental and playful and immersive and, and so kind of stuff that you can't that I'm restricted from doing within you know working within an educational institution basically. And you have an Instagram, people can follow you on that or go to that Instagram page. Yes, yeah, yeah, good. Okay, thanks for the, yeah, uh, what's that? Positive, Posi positive Light Projects, I think. If you just positive Light Projects, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I've so, just given you a follow. It looks great, yeah. it looks very peaceful. <laughs> yeah, it was an amazing week. Yeah, and I'm just programming and curating the kind of lineup of people delivering workshops and stuff for next summer's event now as well. So if I will do a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes, uh, Brendan, so folks can... Take a look at that. Thank you. Uh, a couple of things, Simon. While while you were talking earlier, I was probably while I was on mute. Actually, I was looking at Brendan's archives, and because he'd mentioned the Stephen Shaw, you know, the sort of work Brendan you were doing before you sort of evolved in more into the camera building and space performing art photographer that you you, you kind of are now. Uh, yeah, I mean, American surfaces and stuff like that when Stephen Shaw was traveling around um, kind of screams at me. Uh, and I, I did laugh. You've got this set, series of images called Clean Rooms, Low Rates, which are yeah. presumably the motel rooms you stayed in. Yes. I, I said to I, my, my wife and I have done a couple of road trips around America, but we've always – She's always insisted we stay in, quotes, nice places, you see. And I said, can we not? Those iconic motel rooms. I just want to stay in some of those. Now, I'm sure these are clean and lovely, but these are – If I, I'm going to show her when she comes home. Like, I said, look, there you go. Look, what's wrong with these? She says, I'm not staying in those, you know. But they look clean, I have to say. You know, some of them, yeah. You your bed, your bed sheets look reasonably clean. I have to say they're not yeah. yellow and stained. Oh, well, <laughs> that's the low light. There's some of them were. There's, there's one in particular because I'd always – seek out the cheapest and grottiest looking ones and but as you say usually they're, they're not too bad a couple of them were there was one that i found that was oh it was horrific there was there was cigarette butts in the bed and cockroaches, cockroaches in the bed as well and the bath oh good you don't even want to know what the bathroom <laughs> smelled like mm. um, but those i always found that the grottier and kind of you know more character the, the grottier and kind of cheaper they were the more character they seem to have and, yeah. the, more kind and of, the better the better photographs they made exactly yeah did you ever find yourself actually some of them were so gross you actually slept in your clothes on top of the bed sheet bedspread <laughs> yes yes short answer <laughs> <laughs> i think i'd have taken like a polythene sheet with me to insulate myself between that and probably the bed bugs <laughs> some of them do look proper dumps some of them look okay yeah, some of them are lovely, and some of them yeah. Are there's one there which is just like kind of white walls. And that's that's the cigarette and cockroach. Yeah, one. yeah, and it's got a microwave balanced on top of a fridge 
and yeah. it's just kind of horrible, isn't it? Uh-huh, that's the one. Ooh, dear me. But you have to suffer for your art. You've got a Pepsi machine outside the room in one of your rooms, haven't you? Uh, yes, yeah, I believe there is. Yeah, yeah. Excellent stuff. So check these out. Check out, because I love all this stuff. If you're not familiar with the, the work of Stephen Shaw and books like American Surfaces, uh, and then the work he did, he, he did a, the complete works of his photographs or something, or something like that. Stephen Shaw's stuff. This is all classic. And I love the colour tones you're getting as well. You know, the, just the sort of purples and blues and brilliant yeah, stuff. They're, yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all, those pictures are all, they're shot, they're four by five, um, they're a mixture of Fuji and Kodak, but they're all about 45 minutes or an hour long exposures. Um, yeah, so you're getting those reciprocity colour shifts and things. Yeah, absolutely. And then was it... Also, the ones broken roads. That's also in America, isn't it? it has to be. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of road trip journal, if you like. Yeah, classic yeah. kind of you know rite of passage. Had to do it kind of thing. Yeah, sleeping by the Mississippi's type stuff. This is absolutely yeah, yeah. That was a big influence on me. Yeah, fantastic stuff. I love this. I'd go to America every year, and for, I've yet to go with my large format with my large format camera. But yeah, maybe one day. I'd, I'd like to take things in a, in a, in a different direction. I don't, I, and I don't know if um, you'd be able to help me there, but you've doing doing what you've been doing with uh, with colour in weird and wonderful ways. I'm I'm wondering, is there if you can give me some advice on something I'd like to do? Um, I've got a, a shot that I did on uh, Provia uh, film on with a with a Hasselblad. It was. And it's a long exposure, um, and it doesn't work in colour. Um, when I and I scanned it into a computer, I, I like the image, but there's just way too much of a magenta shift in it to be to be useful. Um, but it works really, really well in black and white, and it's a long exposure. Uh, and the clouds look good, and all of those kind of things. And I'd like to print that that slide film in black and white. Um, is is there is, can, you, can either of you suggest a way about how I can actually achieve that um, from a positive slide image? Well, I, I, my, I probably won't have as, as, uh, as, as good an answer, but my, my instinct would be to do something really convoluted, like just put it in a black and white enlarger and make a, uh, effectively you then make a, a negative print so turning you, you shine light through it onto normal photographic paper and you could you'd create a negative print and then you could contact that print or, mm -hmm. or you could i suppose i don't know if you could use the harman direct positive paper mm -hmm. i don't know what would happen if you used slide film colors i mean obviously if you shoot with color negatives onto black and white you can get an image kind of contrast i think it's you get really low contrast is it or yeah you normally have to end up using a higher contrast don't you if it's a, like a color neg yeah. Someone was at Graham Jago, I think, was asking about this on Twitter, and uh, I think normally you have to stick a high contrast neg in. Yeah, that sounds about right. But, yeah, but you could do what you said would work, wouldn't it? If yeah, you just got direct positive. Yeah, I think so. That can be quite a contrasty paper, so you could, uh, but you could just try it, Other, you, or you could just give it a little bit of pre-exposure, Simon. Yeah, you... That that would pre bit of pre-flashing, soften it up a bit. What what. The... Could you explain that to to me? Because I mean, I've heard this term pre-flashing. 
That's all, what's, what's that going to do? Well, in, in conventional darkroom terms, it's probably easier to talk about that than it is because it's back to front with, with harm and direct positive. But with conventional darkroom printing, uh, if you were having trouble burning in highlights because you're just you've got a negative that's just you know the highlights are just so far away from the shadows but there's some detail there but you're just having trouble controlling them you know without using a really soft filter which just gives you an overall muddy print uh, then you can do something called pre-flashing the paper so uh, and each paper stock you have would have a certain limit at which point the paper starts to take on tonality so if you expose the paper to light before it has any recognizable tonality, you kind of um, uh, you're kind of sensitizing it a little bit more uh, to to light. So your highlights you'll find will print a lot easier, and they'll you'll print with some highlight density. You can overdo it and end up fogging the paper. So you would do a you would do a test in the darkroom and take a strip of paper, put your enlarger up to its top height, stop it down, and then do a series of test exposures, maybe one second up to 10, develop it. If you've got a completely blank sheet of paper, then open up the lens a little bit more. And to, uh, what you're looking for is a series of the first identifiable tonality in the test strip, the first change to tonality. Then you go back one before you see that, and that's your flashing point, your maximum point at which you might want to pre-flash the paper so it's just before you get the first tone on the on the sheet so you can sensitize the paper and it'll help with your highlights with harm and direct positive it's the other way around so you're looking for um the first time it goes from black to white i think and then it's the one before that but there's a quite an interesting little bit on Harmon's on Harmon's website about pre-flashing direct positive paper but it is the other way around from conventional flashing but with ilford's new paper this multi-grade four deluxe um at all i've seen and read and heard you know from uh, john whitmore and graham jago and lena Bess, uh, I, I think it just seems to be a, a wonderful paper and you know i guess if you combine that with split grade printing you probably will never have much of a problem with you with burning in your highlights as long as your negatives are under control you know well, just just a quick one on on pre-flashing there as well. Because uh, mm. one thing I learned last night is the uh, uh, our supply of grade two Jessup's paper on seven by five at the uh, darkroom is already is fogged fogged, and um, that is that just by age? Um, just don't, don't, age? Don't don't know, um, but uh, certainly when but so I, my print came, we did it with um, grade three, and uh, and then it was suggested. You know, as, a, as a learning exercise as much as anything do it on grade two with the same settings and obviously you've got to do your test strips and stuff but mm. uh, you know just see see the difference um, and and they were awful and um, there were there were no whites in it at all and uh, yeah. and then we developed a, a blank sheet and it and it you know it came out with a hint of gray in it um, so but would that be effectively pre-flashing as, as well well, if you've got fogged paper, it could just be down to age. Or, uh, and I think you can, uh, Brendan, you might know that. It, can you add? You can add a bit more. I want to say potassium bromide to the developer, and that that um, helps against fogged paper. But uh, it rings I, a bell. But yeah, rings a bell with me too. 
So folks will soon put me straight once they listen to this podcast. I can, or they'll go on the large format photography podcast Facebook group and tell me. So you can, I think it's brom, a bit of potassium bromide, uh, but I'm not sure how much or what dilution. Uh, that helps with old fogged paper. But yeah, I mean, you don't want to see the idea of pre-flashing, Simon, is that you don't actually want to see the result of the pre-flashing. You're you're sensitizing the paper, but not so you get a noticeable tonality. Mm. In fact, you use the same process. It's quite useful if you want to test the safe lights in your darkroom because really you should test them using paper that has been pre-flashed so that you make it as sensitive as you possibly can to the safe lights. So, um, yeah. Okay. I'll... But or you just buy... This is what I was saying to you recently. You know, there is a danger in using all this old material in that you get disheartened because basically you're getting crap results. So, you know, so if something, if paper's really bad, I wouldn't persevere with it, to be honest. I'd, I know it was free and you were given it, but you don't want, you don't want people to just say, well, this is just rubbish. I'm not yeah, doing this. And, that, and, that, and that's fair enough. I mean, it, but it's a case of, yeah, this, this grade three that I used and I've, I've produced an acceptable result from it. Yes, it's old and it took like good two minutes in the developer before it, before it, it needed to be removed and i'm sure if it was fresher it wouldn't have taken anywhere near that long but it, it gave an image that, that i was i was happy with the the grade two is is fogged and nobody's ever going to be happy but it's i think it was good as a learning process to actually understand why aren't these photographs working and mm-hmm. and then you start to go go through the process of uh, of, work, of eliminating what all the problems are and then you know, someone has the bright the bright idea. Well, what if the paper's fogged? And then you just check the paper and so on. So it was. Although I didn't produce anything useful out of it, it was a good learning experience. And it's that thing about learning through getting things wrong. I think it's just hugely useful. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, you've learned. You know, you know know what fogged paper looks like, and you could actually do a bit more research and find out. Actually, I think there might be something I can add to the developer to try and uh, reduce the effect. But don't quote me. Yeah, I'm more likely to just get some newer paper. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so folks listening, you might just detect a slight note in a change in tone of um, uh, or level in, in Brendan's recording because he just dropped out a bit and had to go and plug his device in. So, But you're back, Brendan. That's the main thing. Yes, I am indeed. So I, I just wanted to ask you, just steer you onto it. It's all very well. Listen, Watermelons, bread, mannequin, squash, in, uh, enlarger, skyscraper, uh, Lego, log, shepherd's hut, apple, gazebo, pineapple, shed. But none of them, none of them come anywhere near caravans, do they? <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I'm clearly not going to be converting our caravan into a camera because I would just get destroyed by my missus. But I do have plans to do things um, photographic in the, in the caravan, <laughs> you know, wholesome, clean things, outdoor living type things. But uh, you, so you have you have a caravan um, with with a which you wheel around and you know park in Dartmoor and take pictures of folk, and, and it's brilliant. And and you can see it on your YouTube uh, uh, videos. And, and as soon as I saw it, and I'd, I'd seen it ages ago, and people says oh, to me, "Oh, you're going to do your turn your caravan into a uh, camera I said no no but uh, i immediately thought of heather oclas so are you familiar with heather's um way of working have you do you, do you know who no, i'm talking no. about no who's that heather oclas o a k l a u s and a u s 
and she has um she has a van a yellow kodak colored van called little miss sunshine which she drives around with a, a a hold so she doesn't use a lens so she's lensless and she parks in front of something and she projects through the hole onto the wall and then she put she uses eight by ten sheets of paper in a matrix covering the whole side of the van wall so she makes a negative image made up of all these separate eight by ten prints when she's finished she just unclips them and develops them and then she does um exhibitions with all these negatives just so it's a, they're negative pictures but your brain kind of sees it as a positive you know so she doesn't make yeah. positive prints she displays it as a working negative so if you type in Heather, or if you look for Heather O'Class and Little Miss Sunshine, there's a whole world for you there. And um, we, we chatted with her on uh, the Lensless podcast some some time ago, but she's she's a lovely, lovely lady, and she exhibits her work um, all over different galleries and exhibition spaces in America. And she drives this yellow van called Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, cool. I, know, I just, you know, you, yeah, what just you're doing, what, what you're doing great. with your, I don't think she, she doesn't develop the images inside because all she does is takes them all down off the wall, put them in a eight by 10 box and takes them home because it's easy, isn't it? You know, you, what you're doing with your caravan is more sort of engaging with folk, aren't you? And uh, drawing people in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a big part of it for me. It kind of, I mean, I, you know, simply put, you know, the, the way that I work, like in the caravan, for instance, and that was where I first kind of realized, you know, that this new, this way of working was so kind of rewarding and exciting for me is because it draws together the three things that I kind of love most about photography. And that's the um, kind of construction of a camera and the kind of use of kind of, of process, basically, and, and analog processes in particular. So the kind of mechanics and the practical and the technical sides of it, problem solving elements as I've touched on before. There's that bit, there's the there's the image making, of course, and the kind of composing and constructing of, of an image and the capturing of that image. And then the other element is that, that educational and facilitative and performance side of it so drawing other people into it so the kind of the building the making the image making and and the kind of teaching thing all gets to kind of mix together in, in, in the caravan or the shipping container or the skyscraper those kinds of spaces that you can invite an audience in yeah so sorry uh, people listening and even you brendan you her surname is spelled o-e-l-k-l-a-u-s i got that last bit right if you if you type in camera karma k-a-r-m-a Heather O E L K L A U S. There's a nice YouTube video showing Little Miss Sunshine taking time with Heather O class and her pinhole camera truck. So a bit different from what you're doing, but that's what I thought of when I first saw your awesome caravan. Are you still using the caravan? Is that something? Is that like a hobby for you now? Taking the caravan? Yeah, yeah. It's um, well, it. it in a way, like the kind of the funny thing is, is that you know, like most photographers, you know, you have a variety of cameras that you kind of pull out depending on the job or the work or the, that you're doing. You know, so commercial photographer might have a kind of workhorse camera, but there might be specific jobs that you know, they need to use a different camera or different range of lenses, and, and obviously for for people who are kind of following their own creative or personal kind of uh, endeavors, then um, yeah, you. you have, different cameras for different subjects or you kind of favor one over another depending on what you're working on and kind of same for me in some ways that they're just a little bit bigger and more impractical so i can i can use the caravan camera and take it out on a kind of 
it's great for just yeah pitching up and taking out for the day it's good for it's really good for sort of testing out processes as well so so the picture we talked about earlier of the the color picture of um the guy in the lumbar jack shirt in the woods you know it was me wanting to test out this color process and so i just hitched up the caravan for the day took it up to this you know points woodlands near me and and test it out obviously with the shipping container that that's a little bit more you've got to pick mm. that up with a crane put it on the back of a lorry but that's really good for you know for for you know if i'm doing an installation you know working in a, in a specific place for a longer period of time and you can invite you know plan it a little bit more and invite different people in so um and then obviously i have my kind of transformation kit which is a kind of briefcase big kind of flight case of um of lenses and um a massive stack of cardboard and a bag full of gaffer tape and that's my other kind of more portable lens. Um, one one thing about using you know a, a large um boxes uh, for your photography um it it it's i mean i've had to go back i've, I've gone back uh, to 2015 just to confirm this in my head, because I was thinking it's got it's got to be there, it's got to be there, and then boom, found it, um, and that was uh, wet plate collodion, and it just seems that you know what you're actually doing there is is a is you you could you could quite well did it might easily, but uh, because you've got your own darkroom effectively uh, inside mm. the camera, um, it sort of yeah. lends itself to you doing that, but. I can't see anything in your in your recent history about wet plate collodion. I'm so I'm just wondering, was that one of those things you you went there, did it, and ticked that off, and went somewhere else, or is that still part of your thinking process? Um, yeah, I suppose I've got a couple of couple of really good friends of mine are wet plate photographers, um, and and I've so and I've kind of worked with them a little bit, and they've shared the process with me, and you know. Um, and you know, so I've kind of played around with it a few times, um, and I don't know. It's something. I suppose there's an element of it which is the um, obviously I like long drawn out convoluted processes, as I've sort of yeah. talked about before. And not to say that that's exactly what web plate clothing is. It's you know, but it's more. It is uh, you need to be really focused and, and dedicated to to, to to that particular way of working. And um, I think it's just you know, working within the space like the caravan, you know, the, tox- the toxicity levels, the kind of specific chemicals that you're using. Um, and there's something about that process. Uh, there's something I really like about the the kind of, um, you know, working with paper and just being able to pick it up out of the tray. Um, I suppose what I'm getting at actually is, is that with wet plate, you need to be really, really precise. You know, the measuring of the chemicals, the spreading of the clothing on the glass, the exposure's got to be spot. And there's so many things that... Um, that you know that, yes that precision i think um that i'm you know that and it's that yeah it's just not for me i don't think um as you you know if anyone that's you know has looked or does look at the work that i do um it's funny i used to has a couple of kind of features and things that went online and um as a, on some blogs and websites um early on and and it was some of the sort of you know playful silly cameras I was making, and, and, and some of the comments were you know oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's just he's just putting cameras inside of things, or he's just putting a lens on the front of something and a ground glass on the back. And it, you know it's like yeah, obviously. <laughs> I mean I'm not pretending to be anything other than that. You know it, it is 
playful it's fun it's meant to be kind of it's meant to kind of play with our understanding a little bit of what a camera is and what it can do and kind of you know piques people's interest pique people's interest hopefully i don't pretend in any way shape or form to be like a, a master camera maker yeah. and some of the people out there that can construct these beautiful um you know just crafted kind of pieces of machinery that are works of art in themselves and the, you know there's that kind of master craftsman and you know and in the same way that I'm, I'm no way, never would never be able to be a master printer. Um, it's the same with um, with the camera making. For me, it's just about yeah, bosh it together, see what happens. And, and Brendan, there's plenty of plates. There's plenty of old people out there with big hats and beards who'll tell you you're doing it wrong. I tell you, <laughs> yeah, and they'll yeah, soon yeah. they'll soon tell you on on uh, on Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> but that's another discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ignore that basically. Yeah, there's there's some, something there that you've just just said there about um, about being precise um, with, uh, with 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 wet plate, um, and it goes back to a comment that you were making earlier about um, how the imperfections in some of the your photographs, in particular, we were talking about the the, the one in New York, uh, add something to 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 the photograph and um, i'm looking at a self-portrait at the moment and i can see the imperfections um, it's way down in your uh, instagram feed and i can see the imperfections where you know it's it's not gone right but to me that adds something to the shot but i'm just just thinking about when we had um joseph brunges on the show mm. where we uh, we talked in in a fair bit of depth about wet plate collodion and at the end of the show, we always, and we're going to have this conversation uh, when we finish recording, um, about what artwork uh, we're going to put on the cover um, for the uh, for the show artwork. And I went through uh, a lot of uh, Joseph's work because you, you've got to find something that's square and it's got to have, have the ability, or at least to be, can be cropped to square and have the ability to have the LFPP letters down the right-hand side and so on and so on. And I found uh, an image, and it was uh, and it was taken of a, a, a firefighter in front of his truck, and it was perfect. Um, it looked like it was collodion. It fitted ev- everything. And uh, and Joseph goes, "Oh, that's one of my bad ones." And, that's and, great. And it, that, that and that's that's the thing. You know, he, he he took the view. Well, you can actually see where I didn't actually coat the coat the plate correctly. Um, whereas from a from a layperson's point of view, which we certainly are, I mean, we may we may know a bit about photography, but we don't know anything or very little about wet plate collodion. We look at it and think, well, that's wet plate collodion. That's what it's meant to look like, even though it's not. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, it's 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 just interesting how people's perceptions of the work is, uh, can, can can be completely different from the uh, the eye of the, the the beholder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's. I mean, I really admire wet plate um clothing photographers as i said i've got two close friends that that, that use it and um and i and I, maybe that's something to do it as well i i kind of you know i quite i i don't you know i you know in all honesty i've i've, I've played with it i've shot a few pictures with it and stuff but i don't i wouldn't pretend to to really understand the ins and outs of, of, of the process or, or be able to kind of you know, create some of the wonderful work that you see out there and i quite sometimes it's nice just to kind of keep something that, from a distance that you can admire and i think um <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm yeah, not, not one for me. But yeah, it's such a fantastic process. The people that kind of really do control it, it's, yeah, hats off. I'm in awe of your bellow making skills, I have to say. <laughs> well, then, I mean, yeah, I mean, don't look too closely, is probably what I would say. <laughs> but they're, they're um, I, yeah, again, I just kind of winged them, really. I just found some various kind of designs and stuff online and a couple of the earlier ones that I made that were sort of in the smaller cameras I made one uh, camera made out of an enlarger that I had to be sort of quite 
a bit more precise because it was tapered. But the ones for the shipping container, I just made it up as I went along, to be perfectly honest. But um, yeah, they work a treat. Yeah, they, they yeah, look fascinating. They do. I'm, I'm, but uh, yeah, I feel like asking some questions. But I, I do actually think that uh, we 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 need to bring things to uh, a, a close, or at least start start winding down. Um, <laughs> So, uh, firstly, I, I, I'm going to say, Randy, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Oh, thanks for having me on. No, it's been fun. Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed chatting to you guys. Yeah, no, um, as 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 you would half expect, really, as a as a as somebody involved in education, you know, the, the way that you explain um, the the weird and wonderful things that you do, it's um, you just make it very easy to understand things. So, um, yeah, really appreciate absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Right. Well, before we um, do shout outs and, and things like that, I just want to say thank you to the people I forgot to say thank you to last time, uh, which was only five days ago. So nothing's actually changed. And that's with our, our coffee donations. That's uh, ko-fi.com. Uh, if you go to there and try and find uh, classic lenses not classic lenses no 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 well you can do but uh but not for what we've done today at least and that's the uh, large format photography podcast um and you can um slip us enough money for a cup of coffee which would be really nice of you if you did um but lem sip Oh, Lemsip in, in your case, which is probably more expensive. Um, but we've had three donations since the last time, and uh, they are from Kate Miller Wilson, who, uh, funnily enough, I've been oh, having yeah. a little chat out, outside of all of this, and uh, she's an excellent large-format <coughs> photographer. Um, so thank, thank you, Kate. Um, another donation from James Thorpe. Thank you, James. Um, and we've got one from Christopher J. May, um, and uh, he's also given us a little note on this one, saying, yikes, I haven't listened or contributed for several fortnights. Um, my apologies, gentlemen. Um, a cross-country move, new job, and wedding all demanded my attention for these past few months. Uh, working on catching up on the LFPP now, though. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're forgiven, um, Christopher. I'm glad you're, you're, you're catching up on uh, on what we've done. I think there's a, there's some great episodes that um, I'm sure you're going to listen to on, by the time you get to hear this message. So, uh, <laughs> so thank you, Christopher. Um, mm -hmm. Andrew, have you got a shout-out this week? Well, only really... As I shouted out about Heather, um, Old Klaus, O E L K L A U S, during the uh, uh, during the show. Just if you're not familiar with Heather's work, uh, check her out because there's a great little YouTube video, and you can look at um, some of her work that she makes. Excellent. And uh, Brendan, have you got any shout outs? Um, well, I suppose, yeah, definitely the the two wet plate photographers I mentioned earlier. Um, uh, Stephen Rath, uh, you can find him on Instagram. It's s.r.a.f.f. So it's s Rath with dots in between. Um, he's an ex student of mine, actually, that's really good wet plate photographer. And also um, Nikki Thompson's the other um, wet plate Clodian. Was that Nikki? No, no, no. Yeah, Nikki, N I C K Y Thompson, T H O M P, son, Clodian, Nikki Thompson, Clodian. And um, yeah, we used to work together. She's based up on Dartmoor, where I live. And also, as there's one other person, there's this young French guy, um, Bruz, well, his name's Theobald Piel, um, and it's his Instagram is B Bruslin underscore lab. So it's B R U Z K L Y N underscore L A B Z. Um, and he's um, 
built a camera out of a kind of old tuk-tuk, like this little kind of vespery thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and put a lens in the back. And he's using, I've kind of, I gave him a bit of tips early on. Um, he's using really similar process to, to, to one of the ones I use and, and of course other people use it as well in, in the caravan. But, um, so it's, but he's, the pictures he's been taking, he's been driving around France uh, and he's built it beautifully. It's all kind of like, wooden boards and these leather bellows and but the, some of the pictures he's been taken just weird and wonderful people he's been meeting on the road circus performers and um crazy people are brilliant yes yeah, so you should check him out excellent uh and uh i'll my my shout out or as usual the six times dark room uh, just get in touch with me by the various means that you might be able to get in touch with me by instagram twitter and things like that and we'll give you some more details uh at the end um but i'm going to give a a, a I mean, we've mentioned them already, but I think they deserve their own uh, proper shout out. And that's uh, Ethan Moses, Nick Lyle and Graham Young of the Homemade Camera podcast. Um, this 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 shows right down their street. <laughs> um, and uh, it'll be it'll be great, actually, guys. Um, and I'm, I'm talking to you, Nick and Co. Um, if you can finally find a way to actually do guests on your show, because you know, I mean, we've we've really scratched the surface with Brendan today and if, if ever there was uh, some people that needed to have a conversation with you, Brendan, it's those guys. Um, mm. Who's that? Sorry, that's the that's the the homemade camera podcast. Oh, is that with them? Uh, uh, is it Graham? And yeah, the, yes, uh, Graham. Yeah, I think, I, I think. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm chatting to those guys soon. I think. Oh, excellent. Oh, that's 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 yeah, that's yeah, great yeah. news. That's great news because, uh, yeah, as I say, it's it's totally totally. Um, the synergy there is just just fantastic so uh, i hope i'll be i'd look forward to listening to that show anyway so that, that's good news that you you've in contact there um okay so that that's it for for, for my shout outs um uh brendan how can people i mean we've we have touched upon the places where you you're out there on social media but i think it's a good time to go back over those things again in one place so uh you're how can people keep up with you or possibly even get in touch with you that kind of stuff um yeah so yeah instagram obviously i use quite a bit that's where it's a bit more up to date i think um that's brendan barry photo and it's brendan b-r-e-n-d-a-n um and then my website there's a link to it on there brendanbarry.co.uk um and then the positive light projects um instagram is positive light projects and there's a website for that as well um and yeah that's where that's the best ways i reckon Excellent, excellent. Well, again, thank you for being with us. It's, it's been great to have you on the show. Yeah, it has. Thank you, Brendan. No, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Great stuff. And uh, Andrew, how can people keep up with you when you're not on this show? Um, they can find me on Twitter as Warboy Snapper. They can find me on uh, Facebook group, our Facebook group, the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group. Um, Instagram, Warboy Snapper. And once every couple of weeks on the Lensless podcast as well. Yeah, that's, that's true. But you used to be weekly on there, so you, you've gone to every... We've gone time. two weekly at the moment. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. It, we might go back to weekly, but it gives us a bit more breathing space, to be honest. Yeah. And Corey's pretty busy. You know, he's works, you know, he's out all day long. He's got a young family and, you know, he finds it quite hard. I think, you know, we're very limited on the times we can record and it got a bit stressful, so... We didn't want to fall out of love with it, so we'd rather do it two weeks than, uh, you know, um, do it weekly and have to feel like a chore. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. And we are up to episode 76 or something now, so 
Yeah, it's been cracking on a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, okay, um, if people want to get in touch, I did this to you last on the last podcast, so I'm going to do it again. Um, so if people want to get in touch with the uh, hmm. us uh, via email, what's the best way of doing that? <laughs> the large format photography podcast at Yahoo. No, no, no. <laughs> you were doing so well. The large format photography podcast at Gmail. Yes, that's the dot one. com. That's the one. There yeah. we go. There you go. I've, I, I have I have mentioned it for the for the Third time seven, seventeen episodes that we've been on. But yeah, know. I don't listen though, do I? You know that. <laughs> but my wife talked to me. I don't listen to her. Uh, it's it's actually it is one of those things that. Um, oh, that, can I just share a yeah. funny story? Sorry, yeah. go on. You yeah, yeah. finish off first because oh, okay. I was I was just I was just going to say that. Um, um, we on the Classic Lenses podcast we formed a a our own distinct Facebook group probably about six months ago now, and there are yeah. still people. Uh, well, I mean, I, I mentioned well we put it on, into the podcast group, and it goes, "You've got a podcast group." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we've been saying it for the last six months, you know. So uh, nobody listens to these things anyway. I think they've all switched off by now. But uh, so uh, they're going to miss your funny story now, probably. But go go, go ahead with it. No, they're not. So I was in Liverpool yesterday what day today whatever day it is today monday evening i went to see my daughter who lives in liverpool and she lives above the open eye gallery and uh, they've got this festival of light in liverpool uh, and you can watch the little art installations and sound and music it's really good and i did try some nighttime photography but as we were wandering around uh, i said to georgia Oh, did you listen to, because I sent her the link to Alice Tomlinson's sh- show that we did, you know. I said, oh, did you listen to that? She said, yeah, and uh, I did, Dad, and um, I'd really like that book for Christmas. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, goodness me, did I say that out loud? Or I thought we said it after we stopped recording. She says, no. She says, you she says you um, you mentioned it while during the show. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So I have actually got the book for 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 Christmas, and she knows now. So, but it's okay. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, um, okay. Just round, rounding up for me. Um, if people want to hear more, oh, actually, I mentioned we're on YouTube as well. Or at least you can listen. You can see a picture that doesn't move and listen to our words on YouTube but you can actually get subtitles as well if that if that might help you um, or not looking at the standard of the subtitling that happens on there um, so that's on YouTube we've got a, we've got a um, channel which is the large format photography podcast um, is the name of that channel surprisingly enough um, and that's it so I'm on Twitter as Simon4 I'm on Instagram as Simon4 Photographic um, I do a podcast every week uh, called the Classic Lenses Podcast that goes out on a Monday. Um, and that's pretty much it. So uh, there's usually something I've forgotten, but I'll, hopefully I'll remember it next time. Um, so we're going to be back in two weeks' time. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show and uh, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.